Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Daily Objective. I hear myself in an echo. I wonder if the same is true for all of you, but it seems to be fixed now. Welcome, everybody. Nice to see you. Uh, if you're watching the visual version of the show, you might notice uh, I'm in a different place. You'll never guess where. Give up. Check this out. Wasn't that cool? That was a reveal right there. The city of Austin, Texas. But we're going to talk more about Texas and California another day. Let's talk about little place across the pond, as they say, which is, um, you know, some would say kind of the uh, fountainhead of what the United States would become. The United Kingdom. They've got problems that make America seem like a pretty rational and normal place, I got to say. So the Labor Party, which in my understanding lost an election uh, last time around, uh, Jeremy Corbyn, the uh, absolute lunatic, maybe open communist or at least a self-described Marxist, I believe. We'll find out in a moment here, but he lost an election and the Labor Party's response seems to be to double down on their lunacy. Let's get into that. Let's find out if I even know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Believe me, I'm open to uh, learning the answer to that. Please welcome a guy who, to him, politics is like the air that he breathes. Over here in America, the air we breathe is freedom. Please welcome Nikos Sotirakopoulos. Thank you very much. Now, I don't like uh, cursing, but is the term sit so considered bad or is it like everyday use talk? What's the word? Sit so. Um, it used to be very much considered a swear word uh, over the decade, the last couple decades. It, it's been normalized to the point where I think they can almost say it like on Sesame Street. They're getting close okay. to it. Yeah. Because I can't find any other way to describe the Labour Party's conference. So well, luckily, in your case, you sit, you call it a sit show, sit so, which obviously doesn't break any FCC or YouTube. Uh, okay. regulation so we'll, we'll be fine so okay so we're gonna talk about the things that took place during the labor party conference and as usual we will draw some general conclusions from that so what happened is that labor has been losing elections basically since they had tony blair so since blair left the part the leadership of the party they've lost starting 2010 and they've been out of power for 10 years so They had Corbyn, Corbyn lost, but Corbyn has not lost the soul of the party activists. So now they have Keir Starner, who is this guy who doesn't really stand for something, and we will see how this is the case. So Keir Starner, you could think about him as more like a centrist, but more like someone who has to appease also the Jeremy Corbyn base, and also he has to appease what we'd call, I don't like the term, but so that you understand what I'm talking about, the woke, so to speak, base of the party. So this led to many problems and many issues. The first issue is the issue of energy. So what is the situation in the UK? And not only in the UK, you've noticed probably that energy spy, uh, prices have been spiking. Now, in the UK, many small energy providers are failing. Literally, they're going out of business. Now, why this is the case? Well, it has to do with the cost of green energy and also it has to do, most importantly, with regulation. So, for example, there are rules that you cannot spike the price. So this means that when the energy price goes up, you cannot pass the cost to the customer. 
Now, what is Labour's solution to this? Well, you guessed it, nationalizing the energy companies. So what has actually happened is that the socialist, let's say, base of the party has voted, so the majority of the converts have voted for nationalizing energy and also, I think, water and the trains. Now, Keir Starmer, what is his objection? His objection is, I'm okay with nationalizations, but only nationalize if it makes economic sense, as if this is ever the case. So now the party is telling him, look, you promised us when you became a leader that we would nationalize everything that has to do with energy or with, quote, the public goods. And now he has to, he has to balance this. So what attracted the attention of the media and of the right is how many people openly said, look, we need to have a socialist agenda when it comes to energy. Or they said, that was, the, let's say, the, the, the radical side. The mainstream side says, no, we need to have a Green New Deal, which is basically the same thing with different words. So the more moderates would say, we will allow some energy companies, but we will control everything in terms of the price, how they operate and all that stuff, how much they pay their workers. The more radical side said, no, 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 we nationalize them. So it doesn't make sense to have 15 different energy companies. They're all under one command. And this is how we have a just and sustainable and green future. So that was the first thing that dominated the agenda. And it's very interesting that this weekend we also had the elections in Germany. And also, again, climate change and energy was on top of the agenda. So Raka, looks like we're reaching a stage where energy and climate change are on the top. And the main difference between, quote, the left and, quote, the right is, are we actually nationalizing them? Or are we more in this, I don't want to call it uh, Italy in the 30s model, because I don't want to use the F word, but Basically, we allow private companies, but the state controls it. So this seems to be the main thing today in politics. So two political events in a weekend, all of them, in a way, they are uh, they are characterized by the, by the same themes. Yeah. So you're asking if it's if it's fascist or or what? No, I'm actually, sorry, I'm not asking if it's fascist. I'm just saying that it looks like this topic that is not on the top of the agenda of the voters or of most voters for the power-hungry politicians or for the politicians that want to have a narrative, somehow it's on top of their agenda. And we will see that the second topic that, that uh, monopolized the headlines, which is the transgender issue, is also an issue that in the microcosm of the Labour Party, in the microcosm of the quote elites, is so high, and yet it's not so close to the experience of the people and what they would expect from a political party. You know, I saw a video uh, in preparation for the show of a young, I guess, British man uh, talking to the crowd at one of these events over the weekend, talking about how, you know, the climate change catastrophe and this catastrophe and that catastrophe is impending and the only way to address it is with a socialist Green New Deal. And of course, the crowd loved it. And that's nice of him to say. I wonder if the crowd, I wonder if everyone in the crowd or cheer or the people cheering at home would really be on board with a socialist Green New Deal if they really saw what that looks like in their own lives. But what I sense from this uh, gentleman speaking to the crowd is 
A, it's not going to be his problem because he plans to be ruling over us. And B, he doesn't even care that much about what it spells out, not for others and not for himself. That's what bothers me. And that's what scares me. The less selfish people are, the less people are planning a good life for themselves, the darker times are approaching because people are completely irrational in that case. And that's what we're seeing. This climate change alarmism is um, it's it's a very it's a close neighbor of socialism. The two, I think, are often motivated by the same thing, which is to demonize capitalism, to say that individual rights are only as useful as they help society and that property rights are only as useful as they, you know, benefit the greater good. And uh, that's a problem. So remember, do you remember in part three of Atlas Rag, what actually happens is this politician and this ruling elite, because of their actions, they find themselves in a pit. They find themselves in a dead end. And what is their reaction? Their reaction is to double down. And that's what happens with energy in the UK. So you have the situation where, because, for example, you don't allow the energy companies to pass the cost of the rising energy. And why is energy price rising? Again, because of the many regulations and all that stuff. And their reaction is, oh, the market has been tried and the market has failed. So now we double down. And this is the definition You know, the, the same definition of someone the, of craziness is doing the same thing again and again and expecting different results. I think in this case, we have an extra thing that this is, they actually want this. This is exactly when they want to go. And I'm not psychologizing here. It's clear that they want the private electricity and energy companies to fail because they've been saying for all, for all these years, it's been their flagship that energy is part of the, quote, commons. It cannot be part of a, of, a, of, a pri- of private interest. So this is one glimpse of our future. And again, what is the conservatives' reaction to that? The conservatives' reaction to that is that we are not going to nationalize the energy industry. But why? Because they said we should not bail out companies that did not have the foresight to expect this rise in prices. So, so basically, their, def- their reaction is not the defense of the free market. It's not, they are not saying, look, the, uh, the economy runs better when there's competition and we don't have a right to take over these companies. And remember that it was a conservative party that practically nationalized part of the railways in the UK. So their only defense, their only defense to this principled appeal for energy socialism is, Yeah, but let's keep something that resembles a market because otherwise it's, 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 it's not good. Of course, you push them a bit more, they will say, yeah, okay, we, we nationalize them. So that was the one issue. But let's go now to the, to the one that was more spicy, so to speak. And it was the issue of uh, uh, cervixes and whether only women have cervixes. So you'd say, what does this have to do with a political conference? Well, can I I just jump in and point out like, yeah, the brilliance of Atlas Shrugged is that it kind of highlights how we we take for granted the work that these atlases do, that these brilliant producers, they they take something like crude oil and they turn it into life and a a heightened standard of living for anybody. And uh, all we do, unless we're called upon to confront this issue, is we take it for granted and we look for ways to get it 
and to, we just assume these producers will just keep on working on our behalf or that we can just take it away from them and hand it all over to a bureaucrat somewhere and that it'll continue to function. And that's simply not the case. So, um, I mean, that's kind of what strikes me about them talking about not, you know, not allowing the producers to pass the energy cost onto the consumer. Like, look, at a certain point, if you just keep on tying their hands and not letting them make pursue a profit, how many of these people do you think are going to dedicate their brain power to providing us with energy if they're not making a profit and if we keep on punishing them for trying to do so? I mean, do we just assume these people are going to work on our behalf forever? Uh, and I also I like the fact that so far, uh, none of this has to do with transgenderism and race and sexual orientation. So far, we're talking about a position that um, increasingly the Tucker Carlson's of the world are sympathetic to. They're, they're hostile to big business on the right. They're hostile to capitalism. They're dis they distrust the energy sector. So yeah, we're about to go into the territory of the left, the transgender stuff, the policing of thought and all that. But everything we've discussed thus far is um, is uh, definitely making its way over to the right. I, I see the usual straw manning uh, in the chat room here uh, with quotation marks by Scott. He says, quote, both sides are equally bad. Shouldn't quotation marks imply that somebody said that, which nobody has? Nobody on this show has said that the left and the right are equally bad only that both are bad and the right is moving farther and farther to the left. Uh, should we read Again, Super Chats Scott, now or, or, or go over to the, tra to the transgender issue? Scott, go and check, go and check the, the record of the Conservative Party in the UK. Go and check the record with railroads. Go check the record with environmental policy. Go check the record with the, the, the environmental ministry literally inviting Extinction Rebellion to their ministry. And then, uh, and 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 then you'll see that what we're saying makes sense. Okay, now Should on I... the trans on the transgender issue, it's it's very difficult even to figure out how they found themselves in this mess. So I'll try to make it as simple as possible to you. Try to follow. So there's an MP called uh, Rosie Duffield, who a couple of years ago was the big name, like a heroine in the movement, because she won back the seat on uh, the, 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 the parliamentary seat in Canterbury, which was conservative for ages, and she won it back for Labour. But yet, she has won, she's done something which is unthinkable. She said that only women have a cervix. And some days ago, she liked a tweet of someone who said exactly the same thing. Now, since then, she got a lot of abuse, a lot of hate, People who were uh, rushing to take a photograph with her when she won Canterbury to labor for the first time after many, many years. Then they say, went on Twitter and said, I apologize, I had anything to do with this horrible person, basically. That was the message. And she couldn't even get to the conference because of the abuse and because of the threats. So again, so that you don't think that, yes, you understood well, someone said only women have a cervix. And this person is not the Labour Party conference, the party that promotes diversity and promotes supposedly tolerance. It's not anymore a safe space for here. Anyway, how did this give rise to what followed? So in the Andrew Marr show, a couple of days ago, the party leader, Keir Starmer, is asked, 
Is it transphobic to say that only women have a cervix? And what did Starmer say? He said, that's something that shouldn't be said. The fact that women only women have cervix shouldn't be said. It is not right. Now, I encourage all of you to go and watch this video because you'll notice something. You will see someone who is saying words and is passing a message that it's clear, it's clear that he has no idea what he's talking about. And today, Julia Hartley Brewer had someone else from the Labour Party. And again, she kept repeating this question. Can you please explain me why it's transphobic to say that only women have a cervix? And they tried to throw these buzzwords that we should not label people and all that stuff. What I understood from all this is that these people, these politicians, these careerists don't believe in anything. But there are some people who do. The fanatics, for example, who are threatening the MP. So when the people who don't believe in anything have to defend the ideas of the people who believe in something, they have no idea what to do. And the only message that their brain sends them is, oh, that's the party line. I don't want to be next in line of those who are going to be abused. Therefore, I have to say that I think it's not right to say women have a ser- only women have a cervix. But at the same time, I have no idea why this is the case. And it was a very sad spectacle. I, did, I wouldn't want to be Keir Starmer at all. And... Again, on the one hand, you said previous Raka that we said about this all this in energy. At the same time, can such a movement be successful? A movement where is eating itself from the inside out on whether you should be allowed to say that only women have a cervix. So is this a, a breath of relief saying, oh, okay, I was kind of afraid of these people that they would nationalize everything. But now that I see this, I'm not so much afraid because it's clear that these people cannot even agree on the very basic ones, or is there no contradiction between the two positions? What do you think? I mean, uh, you know, the old left was about the economic stuff. And then the new, new, new left is all, it's all about identity, right? Race, gender, sexual orientation. And they could have, the, the leftists could have made a lot more progress by now if they just stuck to economics, right? If, if they had just like catered to union workers and repeatedly told them, we'll make your lives better. We'll make your lives better. If just let us in, in, impose socialism. Probably uh, someone else might counter that and say, no, like nobody trusts the socialists. So they have to introduce the racial stuff or the CRT. But uh, nonetheless, yeah, the two, they do end up conflicting with, with each other. The identity politics, it becomes a, a cannibalistic uh, feast, even more than socialism. <laughs> Now it's like, nobody's safe any of the time. At any time, anything you say in your sleep or wrote down, you know, when you were a child can come back and cancel you. The same thing happened with JK Rowling about saying like there was an article, a headline that said like people with a uterus and JK uh, retweeted it, quote tweeted it saying like, who people with a uterus. I wonder if there's a word for that, maybe women. And of course she was uh, lynched, you know, in- electronically lynched over the internet for that And, you know, when you think about it, like what uh, work a lot of women have done, um, you know, for whatever they perceive to be equal rights for women, in some cases, maybe legitimately, in other cases, illegitimately wanting special favors. But nonetheless, galvan- when women have galvanized and fought for what they consider to be women's interests, to now uh, realize that 
anyone who throws a wig on his head and says, I'm a woman now is not only a woman as well, but actually scores higher on the oppression chart. So now any guy, forget the wig, actually, just any guy could look exactly like me, dress like me, talk like me and say, I identify as a woman. Now I am not only included in, in the female community with all, with, with, with all the types of affirmative action that they're going for, whatever it is that they're trying to get, but I actually score higher on the oppression chart. So I am actually being oppressed by cisgendered women, according to CRT, right? According to intersectional feminism and all that, the social justice philosophy, I actually am being oppressed by cisgender women. So JK Rowling or the, the British lady that you mentioned, they're actually oppressing anyone who identifies as a gender other than the one they were assigned, so to speak, at birth. Uh, I mean, similarly with gay, like the, like gay people, right now, gay people, when you and I were growing up, it was still basically commonplace for gays to get beat up and in some cases killed. Th those stories were, uh, they didn't shock anyone. Uh, they were horrific, but they didn't, it did not surprise anyone, I should say. That's how, uh, that's how recent it is for gays to be accepted generally in society. So for these, you know, for people that are gay who kind of fought so hard and remember a time when they needed to keep their uh, sexual orientation under their hat, lest they be physically harmed. Uh, and now they've arrived in a society where they can basically be, basically be openly gay. Then to be told again by anyone who just says, I identify as such and such. Now that not only that person scores higher than them, but is, that person is being oppressed by the gays and are included in the community. I mean, a lot of people have, uh, you know, women and gays and and stuff. Have, they've, they've worked very hard to just get treated decently in, in recent decades. And they're uh, now being told that they're actually the oppressor of anyone who identifies as something that they identify as. So it's... Uh, it's definitely a cannibalistic feast. It's definitely the left eating itself and uh, people turning on each other, throwing each other under the bus. It's a one big contest to see who can cancel whom. And it's absolutely uh, self-defeating. And it's, so, it's only going to hurt the leftist cause, which is the good news. But the bad news is a lot of people are going to get hurt along the way. And trigger warning, it's going to open the door wide open for whatever freak show is emerging on the right. Uh, should we read some super chats or did you want to save that for later? Uh, I have to go in yeah. six minutes. So right, let so. me say my final word and then we'll go to super chats. If I live in the middle of the super chats, uh, sorry, but uh, I have to be somewhere else. So I will, I will finish with a word of advice to Keir Starmer because, yeah, as you said, we, we, are, we are the ones who give the good advice here. So, and as you said, actually, the alternative might be something even worse than a Keir Starmer. So here's a word of advice. It's from the essay, The Cassing in the Student Rebellion. And Ayn Rand says, quote, contrary to the fanatical belief of its advocates, compromise does not satisfy, but dissatisfies everybody. It does not lead to general fulfillment, but to general frustration. Those who try to be all things to all men, she means all people, end up not being anything to anyone. Let me read it once again for Keir Starmer. Those who try to be all things to all men end up not being anything to anyone. So this is, this is what 
this story and this this uh, fiasco of a conference reminded me. You have the radicals and you have the people who say, well, the radicals are right, but let's not take it that far. These people are going to be swept away very, very soon. Yeah, like the, the way that the uh, socialists and the left, you know, the liberals, left-leaning people in the 20th century would say, look, the communists have the moral high ground. Like they really are consistent, but it just doesn't really work or, or it's too much too fast. So let's slow it down. How does that type of compromising work out? At the end of the day, you need to identify the, the correct moral premise. You need to identify what's true and you need to stick to it. So there should be no conflict. There, there should be nothing wrong with being radical, right? Being radical is a good thing. It means you're consistent, but you need the right philosophy in place. You remember in Ayn Rand's first Ford Hall Forum uh, lecture, she addressed an audience that she assumed were mostly liberals. And she said, although I disagree with your, like, uh, you know, your leftism, I'm obviously paraphrasing here. I disagree with your leftism. I wish, I wish my side, like I wish the free market side took philosophy as seriously, or it was as intellectual as you guys are. And I think today we can say the same thing as objectivists. We should, we are jealous of how seriously the leftists take their philosophy. Now their philosophy is outrageously wrong and detrimental, but I wish people on the right took principles seriously. They're, they're sneering pragmatists and the only uh, philosophy they seem to care about at all at times is religion. But more on that another day, I suppose. Let's uh, re read a few super chats and then we'll, we'll call it a wrap. Phil with five pounds says, does having the brains of a rocking horse qualify as governor of California now? And if so, should Keith Stanmer apply or would Boris beat him to it? Phil, he writes us Shakespeare poems uh, in the forms of super chats. I can't, how am I supposed to, does having the brains of a rocking horse qualify as governor of California now? And if so, should Keith Stammer apply or would Boris beat him to it? I thought Boris is in England. What, what, what does California have to do with Boris? Do you understand his question or was it a rhetorical question? Is your microphone on? I got, I got, I got lost a bit with the question. Okay. But, uh, uh, well, we'll but, but there is, there is maybe. So there is maybe the commonality that they're both pragmatists who try to play it this way. They say, "Look, my base are the radicals. I also need to get the vote of the centrists to win. I'll somehow manage to balance this. Maybe, maybe it's something like that." Sammy's bored again with ninety nine. Pence, thank you. Then Phil again. Oh, here it comes. Get ready. Get out your pencil and start uh, and calculator for another Phil super chat. I'm kidding, of course. We love Phil. All right. Phil with five pounds says, can one still be a lotus eater in Greece or do you now have to go to Austin in the Lone Star State these days, chaps? I don't know what a lotus eater is. Can you can you tell me what that is? Yeah, it's one. It's one. It's it's part of uh, Homer, the lotus eater. So Google it and uh... Uh, Phil, Phil knows Greek mythology or history, according to others, because they think that the Troy War somehow, some, sometime happened. So it's it's a Greek history uh, parallel. What does it mean, though? So isn't it the Lotus Eaters that they would eat something and then they forget? So, but uh, let me let me let me uh, check it in real time. Oh, okay. A Maybe that's why who spends their life indulging in pleasure and luxury rather than dealing with plaque with a practical concern. Sorry, I missed I missed the 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 the, the history reference. Oh, okay. I mistook it, not missed it. No, no, you're not. All right, Marilyn with two dollars. Thank you for that. 
Uh, Jonathan Honig with nine ninety nine. Thank you for that. Mary Aline with five dollars says, "Let he who lives without capitalism cast the first cell phone." Not original, she confesses. Uh, Robert with five dollars says, "This is just the quote real women don't have penises end quote controversy all over again." Leftovers from the Caitlyn Jenner party. Sammy's board again with ninety nine pence and some popcorn. And finally, Enric with four ninety nine says, "Thanks for the emphatic expression of reason." Followed by Sammy's board again with 99 pence and a picture of a black cat. All right. Uh, I guess we got to call it a wrap there. Thank you. Yeah, for... I need to jump uh, to somewhere else. All right. Well, so don't no we all. house today. But well, see you I'll... in one and a half hour with HBTV. All right. HBTV. Relax. Relax, please. We do have Clubhouse. You're telling them there's no Clubhouse. Sorry, I'm going to go there. You're yeah, not going to There's be. no Clubhouse for okay. me. Okay. I'll stop talking because I'm making mistakes. I'm off. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, thank, oh, okay. Thank you, Nikos. All right. Coming up and uh, right now is the after show on the day of the Daily Objective on Clubhouse. Then at 7 p.m. UK time, which is the bottom of this hour, it's physics by phone with Dr. Amanda Maxim. She is a doctor, but a, not a mere doctor of the mortal humans, but a doctor of the immortal stars in the sky. Look forward to that. And then an hour later at 8 p.m. UK time, it's HBTV. Harry Binswanger will talk about American, quote, imperialism. A lot of great content, folks. Uh, content. Thank you for supporting it all with your super chats today. Special thanks to the members of the Ayn Rand Center UK. Please consider becoming a member. Think about how much content you consume on this channel. Compare that to what? Like Netflix, Hulu, and what those things cost. You really should think about giving us 10 pounds a month or 25 or 100. You know what I'm, do you know what I'm saying? We are not only entertaining and smart, but we are, I don't know, saving the world in a matter of speaking. Uh, Ayn Rand Center UK membership link is in the chat as well as in the description. Here's a beautiful view of Austin one more time. Uh, and thank you for uh, bearing with this uh, less than perfect lighting. Uh, in the end of next week, I will have my desk. I will be stationed in a different part of the room where the lighting will be a little bit less ridiculous and awkward. With all that being said, I'm jumping over to Clubhouse. See you there for a few minutes or for a little while. And then uh, it's physics by phone. See you back here tomorrow. And goodbye.